0: The first impressions are everything, and uh, you don't want the, the first impression to be by destructions as you draw down uh, down the street. It's sad to me when I walk, when I drive by school, and I see those vacant houses out there, and I see those children walking by them. I was like, they deserve better. With conditions being as they are, it can uh, cause uh, despair, uh, uh, hopelessness in the youth uh, because the visual is I feel like is is, is very strong. Uh, when they say a picture is worth a thousand words that's powerful because it's, it's like um, how do a youngster who hasn't been exposed to anything can see beyond their current conditions and have hope. I think our citizens deserve a basic quality of standard of living and when the community becomes too blighted I don't think it's, it is the government's responsibility to clean those type of issues up, so folks can still maintain a decent standard of living they expected out of us. That
1: is their neighborhood. That's their home. I'm Samantha Max, and you're listening to Building Blocks from Blight, telling the story of blight in Macon, Georgia, one block at a time. It's a podcast from the Telegraph and Macon.com. Each episode, you'll hear from residents who have watched their neighborhoods disintegrate deteriorate and disappear before their eyes. But you'll also hear about what they're doing to renovate and revitalize the communities they call home. Episode one, a history of Bibb County blight. If you drive through Macon, you'll find abandoned houses with boarded up windows and unkempt yards in almost every neighborhood in the city. Over a thousand unoccupied structures have been deemed unsafe for living and a few thousand more are teetering on the brink of decay. This problem didn't happen overnight. Urban blight has slowly infiltrated the county for decades. Older residents have passed on and left their homes to relatives who have since moved away. Absentee landlords have bought up properties and then neglected them from afar. Real estate developers have invested millions of dollars into downtown and suburban projects while largely ignoring low-income communities in Macon's inner city. But in the past few years, the county has tried to remedy its past mistakes. In 2015, Mayor Robert Rickert hired local housing expert Cass Hatcher to serve as Macon-Bibb County's blight consultant. Known around town as the Blightzar, Hatcher has since overseen the appropriation of $14 million in bonds awarded to the Macon Bibb County Commission in 2015 to combat blight. Government officials, nonprofit organizations, real estate developers, and local residents have pooled their resources to demolish or restore dilapidated properties throughout the county. Pocket parks, community centers, and brand new homes have arisen in their midst. But the problem is far from fixed. And as the blight bonds near their end, local leaders face a difficult dilemma. How will the county continue to fund blight remediation in the future?
0: The leadership of Macon is aware of the blight issue and doing everything they can uh, to basically bring the resources, uh, uh, make the resources available to, to tackle it.
1: That's Hatcher. On a sunny Wednesday afternoon in January, we drove through some of the most run-down neighborhoods in the county to see the redevelopment projects Hatcher's worked on with the blight bond funding.
0: One thing with the blight funds that had happened is that uh, when the county did the initial blight bond funds, basically it was $10 million, or really it was $14 million. Uh, uh, $2 million went to the, uh, the Bells Hill neighborhood to do lighting, and then there was another Two million dollars to do a multi-purpose fill uh, in the in the uh, Pleasant Hill neighborhood, and so off of a Wise Avenue. So, and then with the remaining nine, uh, with the remaining uh, ten million dollars, a million was given to the county for for admin costs, and then each commissioner received a million. So all the nine commissioners had a million dollars in blight fund that they can target blight in their district to be removed and identify a project.
1: Some commissioners helped to fund stabilization projects in vulnerable neighborhoods like East Macon. Others dedicated their blight dollars to road paving, exterior lighting upgrades, and community center renovations. Commissioners weren't allowed to just bulldoze properties and leave the vacant lots behind, as has been done in the past.
0: So I came on board uh, with them about three years ago and said they need to put together a process. So how are you going to identify? projects what you're going to do once you tear down the projects what's going to be the end results of those projects at the end of the day and so I put together a, a process for them saying okay commissioners you identify what projects you want me to go and do an assessment of I will assess those properties and come back to you and say yes these are good candidates they meet all the requirements of blight Or no they're not good candidates they don't meet the requirements of blight and then we'll go ahead and put a budget together and execute those
1: as we drive through the Napier Heights neighborhood northwest of downtown, Hatcher tells me about how he identifies areas with the greatest need. One first
0: factor I look at is critical mass. To tear down a house, one house here, one house there, you really don't get a, a big bang for the buck. But if you tear down a series of blighted structures like we did over in Village Green, and like I'm gonna show you that we've done here in Pleasant Hill, then you have a developer who's interested in turning that whole blighted, blighted uh, uh, piece of, uh, of, 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 of vacant lots into something. Either multi-family or single-family, a combination of things. Park it Park is another option. And so we've done some of that as well as trying to look for a series of blighted structures that you can tear down all at once to make a big impact in that neighborhood.
1: One of those target areas is Pleasant Hill, a historically black neighborhood split in half by the I-75 expansion. Pleasant Hill is home to making celebrities like the architect of rock and roll Little Richard and has a rich history that's kept current and former residents deeply tied to the community, even as it's fallen on hard times. Dozens of properties now sit vacant in the once thriving neighborhood. Bulldoze lots teem with overgrown weeds and litter. Hatcher takes me down a side street where nearly every house on the row has been neglected for years. Uh,
0: they are very uh, they are unsafe, unhabitable uh, structures. That are basically falling in on themselves due to neglect. A lot of them are probably the taxes have not been paid uh, in years, and they're in a state that they cannot be repaired. So the best use for it is to go ahead and demolish it. Doing my assessment, if I can determine that the house has good structure or good bones, as I call it, and it's possible that you can rehab it, we try to rehab as many as possible. But when they're in a state of disrepair, like the ones you see here, then It's best to tear down and try to put them in the hands of someone who wants to redevelop it. Hatcher
1: sees Pleasant Hill as the perfect place to invest blight funds. The Georgia Department of Transportation has already devoted about $10 million in community improvement funding to offset the disruption of its I-75 construction project. Pleasant Hill has also been deemed an Opportunity Zone as part of a new federal program that incentivizes investment in economically distressed communities. There's so much to be done, though, and not enough money to do it, Hatcher says. That might as well be the Blightsarts catchphrase. Hatcher knows he has his hands full, but as we wind our way through Bibb County's inner city, Hatcher often breaks into a smile to tell me about the blocks he's turned around along the way. Kings Park in East Macon is one of Hatcher's favorite success stories.
0: So when you first drive into the Kings Park here, there was a burnt out house that stayed here forever. I mean, it was ugly. And so basically, we tore this house down. And one of the things the land bank does was because they, own, they still maintain the property. But when we were tearing this house down, the homeowners across the street came and hugged my neck because this was uh, coming to this neighborhood and then what you see is a blighted structure that was basically burnt out and just sat there for years. And so we started tearing, started tearing stuff down that was blighted as you go through the neighborhood. And we tore a bunch of bunch of properties down throughout this neighborhood. There's still a lot of blight here, uh, but uh, that I could tear down more if the money was available. But again, I got to put it in the hands of somebody to develop it at the end of the day. So this, is a, well, this was a success story here. Uh, to help this community who's been neglected for years, uh, nothing's been happening, not, You know, nothing's been built in this community, and to give them a brand new recreation center, well, a well community center they can operate out of and provide services to the community. But well, this has been a welcome addition to the community.
1: Many residents had felt forgotten, as if their neighborhood had been left behind, Hatcher tells me. Those who had weathered Kings Park gradual decline were desperate to see someone come in and clean things up.
0: No one wants blight, especially their homeowner, next to them. Number one, it, 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 it basically, it, it devalues their property. And so then you got all the other things that's bad that associated with that in terms of rodents and, you know, snakes and People going in and living there because it's vacant, you know, trying to find a place to keep warm. Sometimes it was homeless, and you got all those type of activities around it. So, blight brings a lot of other problems other than just just the the, the eyesore, but some other, some of the, uh, some of the bad byproducts of it uh, that I just mentioned. So, the only only, only problem here uh, is that it's just so much of it, you know, that you know the, the resources are limited but the need is much greater, so. uh, And I've gone to places where I wouldn't even get out my car. (laughs) You know, I could take to some places in Macon that's blighted that you just wanna keep your door shut and just kind of look at it from the outside. Uh, So, uh, and there's those pockets of light all throughout Macon. And unfortunately, you know, this did not happen overnight. This is something that's been happening for years. Joy of the property owners, there used to be a phrase when I got here, and I got here in 2002, called making, bacon and making. And so, property was cheap to rent, and a lot of investors were out of town, and they were rented, rent, they would buy properties for rental purposes. And then they were renting the properties out. When they found out that uh, being a landlord wasn't, uh, cut out what they thought it would be in terms of, you know, getting good tenants in and paying their rent on time and things of that nature, then they basically, they either try to get another other tenants uh, try to make repairs I just walk away from the property and so a lot of people walked away from the property so a lot of the pro, a lot of the property owners that we find especially in the rental properties just basically just walked away from it. Uh, then you have uh, those uh, those properties where the parents have gotten older uh, the, 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 the family the, 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 the son and daughters don't want to stay making anymore. And of course, the, the parents may, may be deceased and uh, they continue to maybe pay the property taxes or not. And then basically uh, because they have no interest in living back in Macon. and uh, I talked to a lady uh, out of California who wanted to, we were getting ready to take the property to demolish it and uh, she wanted to keep the property. And I said, well, this property is about to fall apart. But she had a sentimental value because she grew up in the property, but she lived in California. And she never saw like, the condition of it. And it's not in the same condition that she grew up in. And so uh, I did an assessment and told her that, ma'am, you know, you can't, you know, you can pay the taxes, but, you know, you can't live in it, you know. And so and some, some, those are some of the sad stories that, you know, where the, the parents have deceased and then the, 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 uh, the, uh, the children have some sentimental value, but being, but they haven't maintained the property. And so a lot of that, I found a lot of that in my Am I going through and identifying properties to be demolished?
1: Every blighted home has a history. Residents have told me about the years when every house on their block was occupied, when neighbors felt like family. But times have changed, and it'll take a village to turn some communities around, Hatcher says.
0: You can't do it by yourself. You need a little help from your friends.
1: I asked Hatcher where he hopes to see this project five or ten years down the line. With 11 million dollars in SPLOS funds the county has allocated for the next 10 years of blight remediation, Hatcher predicts he can tear down about 600 more structures. When that well runs dry, there will still be plenty more blight to clean up. But Hatcher's in it for the long haul.
0: Once you start, the secret is this: once you start redeveloping in the neighborhood uh, at one end, it's like a cigarette burn that it starts redeveloping the other end. A good case in point is, Overthrow homes open the of homes across from the Bear's then when it was a public housing development nothing was happening in that neighborhood once we tore it down and built Tattenpole Place you can see all the houses that was built through historic making other private developers came in and as you go from the university towards Telfair, it just changed the day to night if you would've been here 10 years ago you know none of that would have happened to the public housing would have still been there so i am i am convinced that Number one, it takes a long time to do redevelopment. You know, it doesn't take, it takes almost a decade to see a transformation of a neighborhood. And I can remember when I first came to Macon and drove through the Bells Hill neighborhood, there was prostitution, there were drugs, you know. You know the university had basically sealed itself off from the community because they were scared of what was surrounding the community. Now you go through that community, it's totally different.
1: I asked Hatcher what barriers he expects to face moving forward.
0: Barriers. One of the barriers, finding good developers, finding people responsible who wants to go in and uh, want to go in and really develop property uh, for for good purposes. Uh, I think the county really want to kind of get out of the landlord business. You know, in terms of having people come in and making rental property, Uh, there's a bunch of rental property making. Uh, The quality of that rental property, you know, know, sometimes questionable. but finding good end users, finding developers to come in, be it for-profit or non-profit, to come in and take the properties and redevelop the properties for, for, for a, a, a purpose and being able to put the properties back on the tax road.
1: Hadra thinks the key to inner-city revitalization is more mixed-income neighborhoods.
0: It allows people who are uh, low-income seeing see how businesses do not feel like they've been uh, segregated into one poor neighborhood have a mix of incomes that allows the neighborhood to live to basically to to, to to sustain itself and there's a by byproduct of it that people who are low income and in rent and see that their neighbors are, are, are basically maintaining their properties and doing the right thing allow them to go in and do it as well and so that, but having a mixed income neighborhood is always is great and so i'm all i'm a big proponent of mixed neighborhoods
1: the most important thing, Hatcher tells me, is to build something new where something old has been destroyed.
0: Uh, so, but that's, that's how you bring a community back, you know?
1: It's a lofty goal, and I want to see how it's playing out on a block-by-block level in the county's most blighted neighborhoods. In this series, I'll be speaking with the residents who live in those communities. I'll be sharing the stories of those who, for years, feel like they've been ignored. Building Blocks from Blight is a production of The Telegraph and Macon.com, with support from Report for America and the News Collab at Arizona State University. This episode was written and produced by me, Samantha Max. Our music is by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, and check out the written series that accompanies this podcast on Macon.com.